0: and welcome to the newest episode of the first and foremost podcast. I'm your host, the one and only Quentin Douglas.
1: And I'm Jimmy Covington, man. What's going on, y'all? How you doing, Jimmy? I'm doing good, bro. Been chilling today. What you been up to?
0: Man, just watching a whole lot of basketball and baseball. And what was it, late late last week, I went and bought me a plant Trying to get my green thumb, so, you know, (laughs) trying to dibble and dabble in a little little bit of everything. But, you know, Uh, let's get right to it. We got some good topics on deck for today. Of course, the NBA is back after what? We had a nearly five-month hiatus, uh, of course, after the coronavirus outbreak. Uh, So, you know, first topic on deck, uh, which has been one of the biggest headlines in the bubble so far. Uh, Zion Williamson of the New Orleans Pelicans has been battling with a minute restriction so far uh, since we've been in the bubble. Jimmy, what are your thoughts on his play so far?
1: Well, my first question is, is is he injured is what I want to know. Uh, because if not, then there's no reason for him to be on a minute restriction. Uh, he's been in Orlando. I mean, besides him having to go up because of a family emergency, He's been in Orlando the rest of the time, so he should be in shape just like everybody else. And you know, they said he was in the best shape of his life coming into Orlando, but it doesn't seem like he has. He actually looks a little bigger, and uh, look like he's. It looks like the last few games he's been laboring up and down the court, running slowly, you know, jogging slowly. I think I saw like a meme of him on Twitter the way he was jogging already. I mean, so he looks. He looks kind of. You know, when it comes to play time, he's putting up you know solid numbers in the amount of time he's playing. You know, uh, in the first game against the Jazz, he put up 13 points in 15 minutes. Against the Clippers, he put up seven points in 14 minutes. And last night, he put up 23 points in 25 minutes. This is the first time they gave him some extended run. Because, you know, at first it was three-minute spurts, and I think it was five-minute spurts last night. So, I mean, he's played well in the amount of time he's played. But I want to know why they have him on a minutes restriction if they're trying to make it to the playoffs this year. It, It doesn't make sense to me. Uh, unless there's an underlying injury, which you know, I haven't seen anything about it. I will hope. I hope. I sincerely hope it's not. I just hope they're being cautious. You know, but listen, you're in perfect position to make it to the playoffs this year. Stop putting them in on a minutes restriction. Uh, you know, I can see them playing 32, 33 minutes. That's cool. You ain't got to play in 38, 39 minutes. You know, they got some depth on the team. You know, they got some 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 veterans. They got some good young guys, man. So you know, what I'm saying 32, 33 minutes is pretty good. I think it's pretty good. Good amount of time for him to play. Uh, so, you know, like I said, I don't understand, you know, why he's under men's restriction. You know, maybe they would have won against the Jazz had he played more than 15 minutes. Uh, the Clippers game just a blowout; there was no chance they're winning that game from the jump. But you know, they won last night. The first time him playing more than 20 minutes, and they win by 10. I think that's a direct correlation. Uh, you know, he's at like the step slow on defense as well. Uh, you know, coming out of college. I didn't think he was a great on-ball defender, which, you know, we all knew anyway. He's a great weak-side defender, but I haven't even seen that, you know, so thus far in Orlando. I say so he's looking like a step slow. And he's been able to turn it on at times, you know, when he gets the ball in his hand. Like last night, towards the end of the game, uh, him and Brandon Ingram were making some big shots, and Zion was, you know, was playing some bully ball towards the end of the game, which is what you expect him to do. Uh, but, you know, he's, I think he's looked, you know, he's looked above average. He's a you know not quite what I expected, but not. I didn't see he's not he hasn't been looking average. though. I would say I wouldn't say that go that far. So I would say he's looking about, a, about a little bit above you know average. Of what a, maybe I thought you know he's a little under what maybe I thought he was going to be right now at this point.
0: Yeah, uh, I'm definitely with you. He he to me, like you said, I don't know if it's the conditioning or you know the injury still lingering. Uh, But he's definitely not the Zion Williamson that we, you know, saw in college or even in the games in the NBA before the hiatus. Uh, But, you know, like I think Coach Alvin Gentry said that it's not him, but, you know, it's been the medical staff that have kind of handcuffed Zion Williamson uh, ever since he's been in Orlando, which I think with that, you can't really fault Alvin Gentry, but. You know, he could have done a better job of scattering his minutes. You know, like you said, that Jazz game, that came down to literally the final possession. And you have to wonder if they at least put Zion in the last two or three minutes. Could they have won that game? And now that may possibly be looked back on, you know, as possibly the game that keeps them out of the eight or even the nine seed uh, at the end of the seeding games. Uh, but, you know, like you said, you know, first game against the Jazz, you know, it was pretty clear that he wasn't himself. You know, you brought up he was a liability on defense. Uh, he actually had zero rebounds that game, which for a guy of his size and athleticism, you know, clearly something wrong if you have zero rebounds and you're playing in about 13, 15 minutes of action. Uh, but And he also, you know, on defense, he was just committing sloppy fouls, you know, whether that be because of fatigue or not being able to move, you know, because of his injury, uh, you know, that has to be attributed to that as well. Um, you know, you brought up against the Clippers, we couldn't truly evaluate them. Uh, that game was a blowout from the jump because, I mean, the Clippers couldn't miss from three-point range. Uh, so, you know, there wasn't really any need of playing them. Uh, And then against Memphis, you know, he's matched up well against them the two times he's played them this year. Uh, Because, you know, they try to guard them with Jonas Valanciunas, but that's clearly a mismatch. Uh, I mean, he just literally went over them, around them, through them, you know, whatever was necessary. Uh, But, you know, you mentioned the the 23 points he had, but that was also on 21 shot attempts. And I feel like yesterday – Like, really, at the forefront of Zion's mind, he's having to deal with trying to prove to the medical staff that, you know, he's healthy enough to play. But then, you know, there's still stretches in the game, you know, mainly in transition defense. He doesn't even get across half court sometimes. Uh, So, you know, dealing with that just creates another obstacle. And, you know, that can be a lot, you know, on a young player especially already you're in Orlando without, you know, a crowd. So you already have to depend on teammates that much more to, you know, provide some energy and spark. But for the Pelicans, Zion is supposed to be that energy and spark. You know, when he's out there, you know, clearly they're a substantially better team. And his presence out there opens up the court uh, for, you know, guys like Brandon Ingram, Drew Holiday, Then you got shooters like J.J. Reddick. They they play better with Zion after eating up that space on the floor. Uh, So, I don't know, man. I think they're being a little bit too cautious because for some reason it's become a trend for these NBA teams to be like, all right, let's think long term. And it's like if you're doing that, you're almost guaranteeing that you're going to win the championship at some point. But if you look at – Philadelphia, for example, where is that guy new? That just constantly out of the playoffs by second round every year. So, like, man, I don't get it. If you're going to put them out there, like you said, play them a full 30 to 32 minutes a game. Uh, but, you know, as far as making the playoffs this year, I think they set the tone with that that first game against the Jazz, and they, they may be out of it at this point.
1: You know, uh, I know you want to go back to what you mentioned. You mentioned Coach Alvin Gentry talking about uh, the training staff holding them back. This is the first I was hearing about that. So, you know, I think that, that's new to me. Uh, but I, like I said, I don't, I don't understand. Like, you're trying to wake the playoffs, you got a you gotta chance to do it. You got one of the easiest schedules in Orlando. Take advantage of that. You know what I'm saying? Just because, you know, you're resting them this year, that doesn't guarantee. That he's gonna, like, you know, saying that you're gonna be a championship contender going forward. So you know, why not put him out there? The best way to learn is to, be, to is to play, not to be sitting on the bench looking. And so you know, I'm not understanding, I, and I don't, I don't think his conditioning is where it should be right now. I mean, and we're not by no means are we're physician, uh, physical experts by no by no means. But I mean, just my eye, my plain eye, he doesn't look like he's in great shape at all. And, like, he may have gained, even gained some weight, you know, just to me. Uh, but I think that – I mean, his conditioning, like, could ultimately hold him back. Uh, like I said, like I mentioned earlier, and like you mentioned, he was laboring, limping, coming up the court. You know, that's not that's not a good look. He wasn't getting back. You know what I'm saying? So, I, I don't know what the problem is. I think he needs to drop by 25, 30 pounds just to be on the safe side. Because, you know – being heavy on your knees can cause you know like tendinitis and joint problems and stuff like that and you don't want that you know from your superstar playing player going forward so
0: right which too makes me think uh, or remember you know right before the bubble started that picture came out of Zion Williamson where he was just all big and buff and chiseled and had everybody hype about his return But I haven't seen that player at all in these games. And I know he didn't gain it just over the span of leaving the bubble to, you know, tend to his family issues. Uh, But, you know, like you said, the health risk is clearly there because a guy that heavy, he has just as much of a health risk as a seven-footer. And, you know, we've seen how that's worked with guys' knees and back problems and things like that. Because looking at Zion's injury history already, He's only 20 years old, but he got hurt in high school. He was hurt at Duke. And then we've seen he got hurt in summer league. And then, of course, the injury right before uh, the break that we just had. So, like you said, I think he definitely needs to drop about 25, 30 pounds to be on the safe side. Uh, But, you know, all you can hope is that, you know, you wish him the best on the injury front in his career. So, man, moving on to our next topic, you know, the the first day of the return, the big headliner, we had the Lakers versus the Clippers. We all know how that went. Ultimately, the Lakers edged the Clippers out at the end. Um, And, you know, we've seen them both play in about one or two more games since then. But, Jimmy, based on how they've been playing in the bubble, are you more confident that the Lakers or Clippers will come out of the Western Conference?
1: Uh, Well, before the season even started, uh, I picked the Clippers to go to the NBA, to win the NBA championship. And my position hasn't changed. Uh, Like LeBron and AD has been playing tremendously uh, all season long. You know, AD has been basically the best player in the bubble so far, getting buckets, doing it all. Uh, LeBron James hasn't really been shooting well in the bubble. But when you're off for that long, your defense is going to be ahead of your offense. So I'm not – when it comes to LeBron, I'm not concerned. He's a pro's pro. You know what I'm saying? He's, you know, great passer, you know, good rebounder. He's shown that when he needs to, he can turn it up all the way in the defensive end. So I'm not worried on that behalf. Uh, But what I am concerned about is, you know, guard play, for the consistent guard play for the Lakers. Uh, You know, uh, Danny Green last game wasn't – didn't really play well against the Clippers. He didn't really play well. Uh, Alex Caruso, he always, you know, he always gives his all on the court. And he's one of the best players on the – one. he's with LeBron. You know, they have, like, one of the highest net ratings in the league. So, we know that uh, KCP is who he is. Uh, Dion Waiters has surprised me. He's played surprisingly well. Uh, J.R. Smith hasn't really got much run. Uh, And Kyle Kuzma has been pretty good so far. So, I mean, kind of what I expected from the Lakers. Uh, But with the Clippers, you know, they lost their first game. Obviously, they were, were without Lou Will. And you know, Trez, uh, and they still only lost by one. They turned the ball over twenty-two times. And so that's not something that you're gonna see every single game. They only shot 43% from the field. They did shoot forty-four percent from three. That won't happen all the time. I will tell you then that no no team shoots that well from three. But you know I'm saying? At the end of the day, they still got Kawhi and PG. You know, traditionally, if you think about, you know, some of the dominant teams. They had two great – if you want to think it, you know, the apex the apex, predator, apex predator teams like the Bulls, they had two dominant wings that could do it on both ends of the court. And so I think that formula will continue to work. You know, you got four guys that can get you 20 a game. You know, a lot of times have it. And, you know, one thing I noticed with the Clippers so far is when Kawhi's off the floor without Louis and Latre's, the Clippers' offense has been terrible. They've been stagnant. There's been all, no offensive ball movement. Uh, but I think, you know, going forward, I think the Clippers are going to need to get more from Marcus Morris, too. Uh, I think their first game against the Clippers, he didn't. I don't even think he scored, if I'm not mistaken. Or well, he might have scored two points, something like that. So, that's not going to cut it. They don't need him to score 15, 20. All they need is about seven to ten points from him. That's all they need. is going to get his 25. Kawhi going to get his 25. Trez and Luke going to get their 18 apiece. You know, so that's nearly 100 points right there. You know what I'm saying? You know, with the Lakers, you know, you never really know. My thing with the Lakers is you never really know who's going to show up outside of LeBron and AD. And, uh, you know, against the Clippers this year, LeBron, in terms of, you know, his field goal, you know, LeBron is ultra-efficient. gets to the paint with ease. But against the Clippers, he's only shooting 36.7% from the field. And he's shooting 23% from three. So, I mean, obviously you can't stop LeBron. The best thing to do is to make it harder for him to score. And the Clippers have been successful in doing it. And so when LeBron's struggling from the field, then you put all the weight on AD. But, you know, who's going to step up outside of it? And I don't know. I don't I don't think there's no, no guy on the roster that I consistently trust to step up outside of those two. And, you know, before, you know, the season was abrupt, was, uh, you know, was disrupted, Avery Bradley had a big game against the Clippers. And there, I think that's something that the Lakers is going to consistently need. But even then, I didn't think Avery Bradley was going to be able to, to provide that game in and game out against the Clippers. Uh, because we just haven't seen it this year from him or no other player. in Kuz has been struggling some, but, you know, since he's been in the bubble, he's been playing, you know, a lot better. Uh, but I don't, you know, against the Clippers, I don't know how effective he'll be. So, you know what I'm saying? I'm going to still have to stick with the Clippers going forward.
0: Man, I get what you're saying about the Clippers, and I can't, I can't really argue against that. Uh, but I'm going to have to go with the Lakers. Of course, you know, that game against the Raptors was clearly an outlier. I don't think we'll ever see a game again where AD is that passive. Uh, and, of course, the Raptors just present a bad matchup for just about anybody in the league. Uh, but, I mean, of course, the clip against the Clippers and Jazz, that's the AD that we're probably going to see in the playoffs on a more consistent basis. You know, Rudy Gobert is like a two-time defensive player of the year, and he cooked in for like 42 points. Uh, But, you know, the Lakers before the bubble, they were first in field goal percentage. And, you know, their shots haven't been falling so far. Uh, but clearly, you know, LeBron, while his points have been down, mainly in the first three quarters, you know, he's been making a concerted effort to make sure, you know, the other players get in the rhythm and, you know, build some consistency before the playoffs do start when the games really matter. Uh, and, you know, like you said, the Lakers bench has been a big question mark, but you know, so far in the bubble, they've been playing pretty well, actually, you know, looking at Kyle Kuzma in the bubble so far, he's shooting 53% from behind three point range. And, you know, just right. That's what I said. (laughs) And, you know, just watching him play, he seems to be, you know, playing more level head, more level headed. Uh, He's taking smarter shots. Uh, He's, clearly, you know, putting in more effort on the defensive end, you know, namely that first game, he had some possessions against Kawhi where, you know, he held his own and forced him into some bad uh, offensive possessions. But, I mean, even looking at the guard play, you know, without Avery Bradley and Rajon Rondo, uh, Alex Caruso, he's arguably, you know, been the third best player on the Lakers since the return of the NBA You know, not only looking at what he's done offensively, but also defensively, Uh, you know, he's provided some pretty good perimeter defense for the Lakers so far. Uh, And I think, you know, in two of the three games, he's had a net rating of like a plus 17 or something, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, And then, like you said, also Deion Waiters, uh, just needing that, that additional guy who can create for himself off the dribble uh, and I think he's averaged like at least 11 points off the bench so far. And, you know, he's also, while he does still have his moments, you know, where he throws up headed shots, uh, he's been playing a little more level-headed too uh, during the return. And then you can only hope that guys like Danny Green and KCP, who are two of the top three uh, percentage shooters from three-point range for the Lakers, you know, they have to find their range at some point Because, you know, at least against the Raptors, Danny Green was pretty much unplayable where he only played like 19 minutes. Uh, But, you know, I don't think anybody's equipped to stop this team considering they make their living in the paint. I mean, they went up against, outside the Raptors, two of the best defensive teams in the West. And they haven't really been able to keep the Lakers out of the paint. You know, their percentage has been low. Uh, But, you know, in the Clippers game, I think they outscored them like 50-something to like 24 in paint points. Uh, And then the Clippers, their biggest issue is their chemistry. You know, so far I think they've had like 30 different starting lineups so far this season. You know, they have still been winning. But, you know, in the playoffs, I feel like chemistry issues uh, will, you know, begin to surface when, you know, you really need – guys to depend on then not to mention Lou Williams still is re reintegrating himself with the team after being absent. And then also brought up uh, Montrez Harrell has yet to return to the bubble, you know, after dealing with the death of his grandmother and there's still been no update on when he'll return. And then something else too, which actually just happened today. Um, I don't know if you remember earlier in the season, uh, Patrick Beverly missed some time with the calf injury. But, you know, evidently he re-aggravated it again today against the Suns. Uh, so, you know, it's yet to be seen how much that will affect them. Uh, and, you know, looking at their offense, they've been pretty stagnant. You know, like you said, and Kawhi and PG have been playing a lot of ISO ball. Uh, and that could, you know, present some problems in the playoffs, not having that ball movement. Uh, and, you know, LeBron James is all about making plays and moving the ball to his teammates. And, you know, like you said, he's had pedestrian numbers so far, but we know what LeBron is in the playoffs, and we know he's going to raise his level of play. Uh, So, you know, just going off that, I'm more confident in the Lakers coming out of the West.
1: You make some good points, and I do want to mention that, you know, the Patrick Beverly thing is big, and then, of course, the Montrezl Harrell thing is big. Of course, if the Clippers aren't in full strength, full capacity, then give me the Lakers uh, easily, you know what I'm saying? But if they are at full capacity, then, you know, I'm going to go with the Clippers. You know, like you said, Bron is going to turn it up when it comes playoff time. I'm not concerned about the AD is going to do what AD is going to do. But my thing is, you know, those two are not going to be the full Clippers squad by themselves. So that third guy is going to be crucial. And if, you know, Bron, when it comes to playing the Clippers in playoff time, Braun can't afford to spend the first three quarters trying to get the other guys involved in the playoff time. Not with Lou Williams and Trey is on the court too, you know, with the Clippers too. If if they're there. You know what I'm saying? So, you know, I think Braun is gonna have to turn it, we're gonna have to be more aggressive early on. You know, like I said, if the Clippers are at full strength. But like I said, if they're not, then of course, yeah, you know, of course I'm rolling with the Lakers.
0: Right. And I mean, I even going off that. You know, I think that's why he's doing it now, because as it's set up, they won't even see the Clippers, you know, till the Western Conference Finals. So, you know, they have now, they, they probably shouldn't have any problems with whoever they play first round. Uh, and that should be, you know, ample amount of time for, you know, them to fully figure out who they want consistently in the rotation, uh, who they can depend on night in and night out. Uh, And I think all those things will get ironed out before, you know, they even meet up with the Clippers in the Western Conference Finals. So, I don't think it'll be that big of a problem.
1: I'm just ready to see some playoff basketball.
0: Man, me too. Me too. But, yeah. So, speaking of playoff basketball, uh, you know, one team that's been showing out so far in the bubble has been Toronto Raptors. Uh, So, Jimmy – Why do you think the Raptors are being ignored and do you think they should be viewed as the biggest threat to the Bucs come playoff time?
1: You know what? I've been thinking about why they've been ignored and I think it's because of the lack of a quote-unquote superstar. Uh, Last year, we saw what they were with Kawhi Leonard, you know, being basically being a mercenary and they were an excellent team come playoff time. And, you know, my thing is, it's just like, you know, they're still a great team. Technically, their, their record is better than what it was last year with Kawhi Leonard. And so, you know, they beat the Lakers down last game. And I think, you know, with guard play, they have some excellent guard play. You know, you know Kyle Lowry, Fred Van Fleet, you know, they got Marcus All and in, in the Bakke at center. Pascal Siakam is, you know, a borderline superstar, all star. They got OG Ananobi, Norman Powell, you know, they got a bunch of guys that, you know, know their role and they play some great team basketball. And, you know, when it comes to when it comes to the Bucks, you know, they sh- basically showed the formula last year on how to stop the Bucks. You take somebody like Pascal Siakam, who's quite who's not as big and not as athletic as Giannis, but can do a decent job. You follow him to the paint where the bigs are, and then, you know, there you go. Because those other guys aren't gonna beat you. Chris Middleton's not going to beat you. Dante Devin can't do it. Eric Bledsoe can't do it. Wes Matthews, those guys can't – they can't win you a playoff series. I'm just going to keep – we're just going to be honest. It's going gonna, it's gonna to depend on Giannis. And the Bucs don't have a closer. Uh, but what I view them as the biggest biggest threat to the Bucks, I wouldn't – I would say no. Not the Not the biggest. But they're one of the biggest threats. I wouldn't say not the biggest. I think – the biggest threat would be either the Miami Heat or, you know, or the the Boston Celtics. Because I don't know, I don't really know who, if Toronto needs a bucket at the end of the game, I don't know who they're going to go to consistently. You know, I've seen Pascal make some big plays. You know, we've seen Kyle Lowry make some big plays. But are you, you know, based off Kyle Lowry's playoff history, are you going to rely on him to be your go-to, get you a go-to bucket at the end of the game? I don't think so. Uh, You know, Fred Van Fleet has played well. I don't know if you go to him either when it comes to get a bucket at the end of the game. And Pascal Siakam, like I said, I think he's a 24-point-per-game scorer, 20-24 points. And so, you know, his offensive repertoire is in continuing to expand. So, you know, we'll see, you know, when the playoff time comes and if that situation does come and unfold, and we'll see what they decide to go with. But I think the lack of approving – not the lack of proven closer, but, you know, no clear closer – I think that might hurt them, you know, when the games get real close. But, you know, with Boston, you got Jason Tatum. You got Kimball Walker. They're the closers. You know, with the Heat, you got Jimmy Butler. He's a closer. You know, you got guys that can make, and they're not afraid to take big shots. You know, both of those teams, you know, all of those teams actually match up pretty well with the Bucs, you know, with the exception of the Celtics, you know, in terms of bigs. They don't really have any true bigs outside of uh, Daniel Tice. Uh, but I think you know they got enough on the wing, enough firepower on the wing to offset that. Because you know, who's gonna, who who are you gonna put? I think if you're playing Boston and you know Milwaukee, what well, who are you gonna put? Giannis, I mean, like who is Giannis gonna guard? I, I'm I'm guessing Giannis will guard Gordon Hayward because you're not. I don't. You don't want him out there trying to guard Jason Tatum. <laughs> and I don't think you want to put. I don't think you want to put him on Jalen Brown either. Of course, you know Eric Bledsoe can't can't guard. You know Kemba Walker. Wes Matthews can't guard Jalen Brown or Jason Tatum for that matter. And Chris Middleton can't guard any one of those guys either. So, the only thing you really got in terms of defense is Giannis and, you know, those perimeter guys anyway. So, it's not like they're going to be trying to dunk on you every single play. You know, all those guys, you know, the one through the four with the Celtics, all all those guys are extremely versatile offensively and they're extremely skilled. Uh, But going back to the Raptors, you know, I I don't get why they're being ignored. They're a great team. Uh they know how to play the game of basketball. They're proven in the playoffs. We seen it last year. Uh, but no, nah, I wouldn't think them, I don't think they're the biggest threats to the Bucs, but they're one of the one of the three biggest threats to the Bucs. Well, uh, um, I want to start by saying I
0: I feel they're being ignored for one. Like you said, you know, they don't have that clear-cut, you know, superstar uh who's just the face of the franchise. Cause you know, some might argue it's Kyle Lowry. Uh, some might argue is Pascal Siakam. Uh But, you know, even with Kawhi out of town, like you said, they were on pace to have a better winning record than they had last year. Uh, and I think that has to be credited to one. Nick Nurse is easily a top three coach in the NBA to me uh, at this point. And, um, you know, they say you can never question the heart of a champion. So, you know, these guys are, you know, battle-tested. So they're not just going to go out there and just lay down for anybody. You know, they got a team full of hard-nosed, tough guys uh, that are going to go out there and be physical with you and, you know, make you play for a full 48 minutes. Uh, And, you know, I think we saw that with the Lakers because they hung with them probably two and a half quarters and then halfway through third quarter, you know, the Raptors' defense just kind of took over. Uh, that's when they separated from them. Uh, but, you know, looking at them, you know, they still got the league's third best offense, uh, and they shoot the three ball pretty well. I think I saw their fifth in three-pointers made this season. Um, and, you know, like you said, when it comes to clutch time, we've yet to see, you know, one of their scores prove that they will be that clutch go-to scorer. Uh, but you do, you know, you have, you know, like you said, Kyle Lowry, Uh, Pascal Siakam, Fred Van Fleet, they can all, you know, get you 18-plus a game easily. Uh, And, I mean, even Norman Powell and Serge Ibaka can score when necessary. Uh, And then, like I said, with the three-point shooting, you know, they space you out with eight players that shoot, you know, at least 36% from behind the three-point line. Uh, And, you know, I think that's pretty deadly in itself. And then, like we said, their defense is suffocating. Uh, this year they have the league's best defense, actually, Uh, and we've already seen that they have the formula to stop Giannis in the playoffs. You know, clearly they don't have a guy like Kawhi Leonard, Uh, but even when he was there, you know, it was a collective team effort, and, you know, they built a wall, essentially, to stop Giannis, and, you know, with guys like Serge Ibaka, who's shown throughout his career to be an elite shot blocker, Uh, You got, you know, Mark Gasol, who's like a tree stomp, essentially, you know, clogging up the paint. And, you know, O.G. Ananobi, he's developed, you know, substantially this year, uh, filling in for Kawhi. And, you know, he's a viable three and deep player now. Uh, And, you know, they just have plenty of length and versatility, you know, up and down that roster. Um, And, you know, whether they play Milwaukee or Lakers, whoever else they play, uh, you know, they pretty much have set their mind on, you know, packing the paint, and they force you to beat them from behind the three-point line. And, I mean, there's not very many teams that can do that. You know, like you said, maybe a Boston uh, would be built to beat a team like them. But even then, I think that would be a pretty good battle uh, in itself. But, like, I, I originally thought it was the Celtics. But, you know, after fully evaluating them um, – I think I have to go with the Raptors as the biggest threat to the books. Because, like I said, one thing that they have over everybody is that championship, you know, mindset and that DNA. And you can't really take that away from a team.
1: You know what? I can't really argue with you. Like I said, I don't think they're the – I think my favorite would be the Miami Heat. But you can't go wrong with the Raptors either. They got all the requisite tools. You know, and I think one interesting thing you mentioned is OG Ananobi, who wasn't playing last year uh, when the playoff time came around because of an injury. So, you know, he's gotten better. And so just imagine this, this current team with a healthy OG Ananobi, and then maybe you keep Kawhi and Toronto from last year. And then I'm thinking you're thinking they might be the title favorites again. So, you know, the Raptors are a great team. Like you said, Nick Nurse is probably one of the three best coaches in the NBA right now so, you know, if they do make it out of the East, I wouldn't be surprised one bit. Yeah,
0: not much argument there for me. Uh, so, you know, going back to Nick Nurse and, you know, other NBA coaches, uh, the results came out that this year's Coach of the Year race <laughs> actually ended in a tie, and I think it may be the first time that's ever happened. Uh, so we had a two-way tie between Billy Donovan and Mike Budenholzer, and I think they said that even Nick Nurse was one vote shy of actually a three-way tie. Uh, but, Jimmy, what are your thoughts on this race ending in a tie?
1: Mike Budenholzer shouldn't be on the list. Uh, that's my first thing. Uh, the Bucks, pretty much, with the exception of a few players, have the same rosters they did last year. You know, they added, you know, Wes Matthews. They added Robin Lopez, Kyle Corver. And I think the only notable uh, loss they had was Malcolm Brogdon. But Malcolm Brogdon, he's not he's not a superstar. He's a good player. But, you know, those additions, you know, more than make up for his loss. Uh, they have a better winning percentage than they do last year. Uh, they won about 76% of their games last year. They winning 80% this year, a small up to. Uh, they were 10-5 in the playoffs last year, and Nick Nurse's first year, and they lost in the Eastern Conference Finals. Uh, they won the first two games and lost four straight, and we talked about, you know, the game playing against Giannis. Uh, and he's only lost 35 games in the regular season as the head coach of the Milwaukee Bucks. So they're a terror in the regular season. Uh, but, you know, I don't – they really didn't – I mean, they they improved slightly record-wise. I, I don't think that's a reason to give him co-coach of the year. Think what's more impressive is Billy Donovan and what he's been able to do with the Thunder. This offseason, the Thunder lost Paul George, Russell Westbrook, Jeremy Grant, Patrick Patterson, and Marquise Morris. Russ PG and Jeremy Grant were all starters. You know, PG averaged 28 a game last year. Russ was in the 20s last year. Jeremy Grant played a pivotal role. And, you know, and they brought in CP3, they got Shea Gilligis Alexander. And they also brought in Danilo Gallinari. And they were predicted to be, you know, the 11th seed before the season started. So, nobody expected them to make it to the playoffs, not even me, just being completely honest with you. And they've more than, you know, they've more than, you know, excelled. Uh, They're 41-25 this season, which is right now is a higher winning percentage than the Thunder had last year in terms of percentage-wise. Obviously, it can't be games because they haven't played as many games. They're 13th in offensive rating, which took a tick down from last year but they're better defensively, which would be—it's just surprising considering you lost Paul George, one of the best two-way wings in the game. And Russell Westbrook, you know, his reputation as a defender, I mean, maybe precedes his actual skill, but he's still, you know, he's still a, a pest when it turns to getting steals and, you know, playing the passing lane. So you would think, you know, CP3's got a little older. You know, Danilo Gallinari isn't really a defender. Uh, you don't really look at Shea Gillis as Alexander as a defender as well. So, you know, I'm surprised that their defensive rating went. Uh, but, you know, like, I don't I don't know why this was really a consideration for Mike Budenholzer. Like, I think it's far and away Billy Donovan. He's done a great job with that team. You know, like I said, they we thought they were left out to die. <laughs> but, you know, CPP didn't let that happen. And they're essentially they're in the same spot uh, that they were last year. They were the sixth seed last year. They're currently the six seed with a chance to move up to maybe the five or the four seed. So that's he's done a tremendous job with their team. You know, once you think outside of those, you know, the the five starters, and you go Dennis Schroeder and there was Noel. But after that, I mean, can you really name anybody on the roster outside of those guys? Those top seven, like I know Darius Bailey, I know him. That's eight. But outside of that, I don't even really know who's on the rest of the roster. I mean, you know, we got Andre Roberson who just came back. But so you know, there's not the only really big name is Chris Paul, and uh, I guess the Shea is Alexander is you know a superstar in the making. And you know, he's been a, he's been great thus far this entire season. Steven Adams is who he is. You know, Danilo, Danilo Gallinari is a 15, 16 point per game scorer and a nice sweet nice shooting stroke from a big man. Uh, but I think it's definitely the Thunder. I mean, who nobody's been more impressive than him. I know the Bucks have you know. Had one of the biggest winning margins per game in NBA history. They're one of the best teams on both ends of the floor, but they really didn't improve from like they were this pretty much the same last year. So you know I don't I, I don't agree with this at all. I think it was stupid.
0: Yeah, man, you made a lot of good points. Uh, you know, my first thing is there's no way you can have a you know yearly award like this end in a tie. Like, could you imagine the backlash if the MVP voting ended in a tie? We had co-MVPs. You know how many people would be pissed. Like, they start a riot. Uh, but you know, one, I definitely don't, don't think Mike Budenholzer uh should have been uh tied. First off, uh, but I'll get into that in a second. Like you said, I think Billy Donovan should have been, you know, clear cut the winner of this award. You know, the Thunder have always been a well-run organization. You know, Sam Presti's been one of the best GMs in the league, you know, since he stepped foot. You know, anytime you can draft three guys who are future MVPs, uh, I think that in itself is pretty impressive. Uh, and, you know, you essentially, you know, like you said, they flipped Russ and PG and replaced them with CP3 Shade Danilo Gallinari and they got a bevy of future first-round picks. Uh, but, you know, on paper before the season, you know, a lot of people did count them out. But, you know, clearly they had some talent. But, you know, it was just a big question of how they would fit together. Uh, and, you know, they have run an effective three-guard lineup, you know, with CP3 Shea and Dennis Schroeder all on the floor at the same time. You know, I think – those three guys together, you know, have one of the highest net ratings uh, for any trio in the league this year. Uh, And then, you know, those guys all average 18 plus a game, along with, you know, you mentioned Danilo Gallinari. Uh, And then CP3, you know, he's shown he hasn't lost a step, you know, as far as clutch points goes. He has the most clutch points of any player in the NBA this year. Uh, And, you know, you also have to give hats off to him him, uh, because he's been, you know, pivotal in the development, I'm sure, of Shea Gilders-Alexander because he's, you know, in my opinion, should be at least a top two or three candidate for most improved player. Um, And, you know, like you said, they've also surprised on the defensive end. You know, they got anchors in Steven Adams. Nerlin Noel is a a pretty good shot blocker in his own right. and, you know, CP3 has always been known as an on ball piss throughout his career. Uh, and, you know, it's always been at the top or near the top of the Steel Leaders every year. Uh, and, you know, going back to Mike Budenholzer, there's three other guys that I would have taken, you know, even before I casted a vote for him. You know, like we've talked about the Raptors, you can't ignore what, you know, Nick Nurse has done with that team. You know, after losing a guy like Kawhi Leonard. And, you know, even last year, they had a better winning record, you know, without him in the play, in the lineup. Uh, and, you know, they've ke- just kept that going this year, despite having multiple guys injured, you know, throughout the season. I think they've been one of, you know, probably behind the Clippers maybe, one of the most injured teams in the NBA this season. And, you know, to still be the second seed in the East is still pretty impressive. Uh, and then, you know, looking down in Miami, you know, Eric Spolstra, the job he's done at the Miami Heat, you know, they got Jimmy Butler from the 76ers. But, you know, outside of him, Bam Adebayo, he developed into an all-star this year. Uh, you got undrafted guys like Kendrick Nunn, who's in the star lineup. He's blossomed this year. Uh, you know, rookies, uh, Tyler Hero. You got Duncan Robinson. They balled out this year. Uh, and, you know, they're right there in the thick of things, you know, and a lot of people, you know, including yourself, are, are you know, taking them as the biggest threat to the Bucs. And, you know, I think that's no no slouch, you know, considering. Um, and I even take Doc Rivers, the Clippers, you know, Kawhi Lowe managing. Paul George is just not having both of his shoulders healthy. Um, you know, Pat Bev battled some injuries, lots of role players on that team they've had. You know, players rotating in and out. You know, especially at the trade deadline, uh, and you know they're still one of the best teams in the NBA, and a lot of people's pick to win the championship. Uh, and you know, I think he just passed was a rare hour back to become one of the top ten winningest coaches in NBA history. Uh, and you know, I think that says a lot about him and you know his resume. And you know, I would have taken any of those guys over Mike Budenholzer because, like you said. They haven't done anything substantially different from what they were doing last year. And I think a lot of that has to be credited to Gian, to Giannis Antetokounmpo's dominance.
1: You know what? I don't really got much else to add. You pretty much hit everything else. Like I said, I mean, they really didn't improve much. You know what I'm saying? You know, they were a great team last year. And, you know, they're a great team this year. did nothing happened. happen. They didn't really lose any key players only one was Malcolm Brogdon. I don't even think Malcolm – did Malcolm Brogdon even play in the conference finals last year? No, he did Exactly. Okay. So, you didn't even miss him. So, you you added some veterans who know their roles and know how to play, you know, winning basketball. So, you know, I just don't – like you said, Coach Expulstra could have been a better option. Doc Rivers could have been a better option. Nick Nurse was a better option, you know. You know, I think one thing we've seen with Mike Budenholzer's teams is they won a lot of regular season games. Uh, even if you look back into the Hawks, his first year as head coach of the Hawks, I think they won sixty games and were like the one seed in the Western Conference. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Eastern Conference, and then they got swept. And I think in the conference finals, I want to say, yeah, by like, the Cavs. <laughs> yeah. So you know, I, I don't you know. The NBA, the NBA National Basketball Coaches Association got this completely wrong.
0: Yeah, and you know, even going off what you just said with Coach Budenholzer. Uh, you know, I think that's just another case as to why all of these awards should wait until the conclusion of the regular season and postseason. Because, uh, you know, essentially regular season success doesn't really mean anything if you're not really doing anything with it in the playoffs. Because like you said, you shouldn't have a 60-win team and you're getting swept out of the playoffs. Uh, so like I said, Boone Hoser probably would have been fifth or sixth for me Because I probably would have even put Frank Vogel over Mike Budenholzer, to be honest with you. Uh, So, I think it's just crazy that it ended in a tie. But I don't think that ever needs to happen again. No, not at all. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Well, Jimmy, did you have anything to add to this episode, man? Ah, man. Like the normal. uh, Black Lives Matter and uh, arrested the murderers who killed Breonna Taylor. Uh, And I want to mention their names. Brett Hankinson. Jonathan Mattingly and Miles Cosgrove. Uh, They need to be held accountable. You know, we want justice for Breonna Taylor. There's no reason why they should still be walking the streets. And I think, you know, a lot of times people don't mention their names, but I got to mention their names because people need to know who they are.
0: Yeah, I second that, bro. Definitely justice for Breonna Taylor, Black Lives Matter. Uh, You know, I really appreciate it. Uh, You know, the message that the players have been sending so far with the NBA's return, you know, kneeling and, you know, wearing the Black Lives Matter T-shirts, the messages on the back of their jerseys. Uh, I did think it was funny. I don't know if you saw it. Jimmy Butler elected to go out with a blank uh, jersey and they made him change. Uh, I thought that was funny, but it's just like, whatever, man. Uh, But, you know, like I said, the fact that they've all been unified on that front and, you know, even continuing to push the message in their post-game interviews, uh, I think that's been pretty impressive in itself. Uh, But, you know, we appreciate all of you guys for rocking with us here at the First and Foremost Sports Podcast. Uh, Continue to like and subscribe. You know, we got our YouTube channel. We got our Facebook group. Follow us on Instagram. Follow us on Twitter. Uh, And I think that's pretty much all I got to say. You know, I am the one and only Quentin Douglas.
1: And I'm Jimmy Covington. Appreciate y'all. Thank y'all.
0: Yes, sir. Appreciate y'all. We out.